What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm chilling here in New York City. I'm in my hotel room. Hotel rooms are a little smaller here than a lot of other places. Not gonna lie. Maybe it's just the rooms I stay in, but my desk chair is buttoned up against the bed right now. That's fine. You wanna know why? Because I'm having a good time. I'm chilling. I'm in New York because the Fearless Flyers are doing a four-night run, eight shows at the Blue Note. Very excited for it. They're all sold out. So if you didn't get your tickets, well, don't sleep next time. Speaking of things that are sold out that I'm really excited for, I'm doing a camp, a rhythm section camp, focused mostly for guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, next summer, August 5th through the 8th, in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Lowe's Hotel. Today's guest is going to be there as one of my special guests. You know what? I I was going to save this episode for this week because I was like, oh, yeah, Sterling's going to be on and he's going to be an instructor at the camp. Let's do the episode this week because I'll promote the camp and it'll maybe help sell tickets to the camp. Guess what? The camp sold out. That's amazing. It's my first time ever doing this camp. I'm very excited. It's limited to like around 200 people. So we're going to we got a bunch of instructors, bunch of rooms. We're going to be doing concerts, all that. But we did open up just today. We are yesterday. We opened up like 20 commuter pass tickets. For those that don't need the hotel room, if you're living in Nashville, whatever. So get those. They might be sold out by now too. But anyways, you know what? That's the good thing. Because there's going to be people there. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And honestly, it's like, well, why don't you just sell more tickets or just like do a bigger thing? Why? Because I want to keep it a little more intimate. Want to make sure that it's a really special experience for everybody that's there. And if you're coming... Thanks. It's going to be a great time. We got sick concerts. Larry Carlton, Theo Katzman, Fearless Flyers. Sterling's going to be there. I mean, we got all this. This is going to be sick. Ariel Pose. Just come on. All those good. For the guitar players. This is a guitar podcast. Ariel, Mark Letieri, myself. I got a couple other special guests coming. Don't worry about that. Nice little surprises here and there. Larry Carlton. That's the one that I'm looking forward to hearing. Larry's one of the kings. Come on, Steely Dan. Come on, Steely Dan. Anyways, on to this week's guest, Aaron Sterling. You might know him as a drummer for John Mayer. You might have heard him with Harry Styles, Marin Morris, Taylor Swift. The list goes on. Okay, this cat is one of the dopest drummers to exist. And my goodness, what an incredible session musician. This cat just gets it. What does the song need? How does the momentum need to feel? How can you contribute to the momentum? How can you do a dismount from one section to the next? How can you build from one section to the next? Stair step one section to the next. This cat's got it. He's got what we call the gift. He played on a handful of tunes on my last album. Love working with this cat. Great friend. So let's not hold it up anymore. Aaron Sterling. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. 
or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Dude, good to see you. Great to see you too. All right, dude, I gotta, I gotta start. There's, there's one place I need to start because we've talked about this a little bit right. and Thiele told me some about it. But dude, what the frick? Tell me about this fusion band that you and Chris Thiele had in high school. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I was right out of high school, but... But yeah, it was like me, Chris Thiele, and and um, this amazing fiddle player named Luke Bulla. Do you know him at all? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Played with Ricky Skaggs. And I mean, I don't know what he's doing now. I'm sure he's played with everybody. He's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't even tell you how that started or like who called who. I don't know. I was 18, I guess. And I would imagine Chris is younger than me. I don't really know how old he is, but but we're all like little children, you know? Um but dude, he came, he, they would come over to my garage at my parents' house and it'd be me, Chris, and this fiddle player, Luke, nobody else. I don't know why we didn't think, oh, a bass player would be cool. Uh, maybe a bass player showed up. I don't even remember. <laughs> but we would work through these insane songs of, of theirs that was like, I, at that time, Nickel Creek had like started, you know? Yeah. But he's like, oh, that's cool. These are like pretty songs that I got to do with these people over here. But he had the most progressive stuff imaginable and we would just like work through these ideas and then i don't know and they just ended i could i think it's because i moved to la but um it was Got really it. amazing i remember being blown away it was one of the first times i'd play with somebody that wasn't just great it was like insane great and i yeah, could, yeah, yeah i could feel this palpable difference of like oh this these people are on a completely other level yeah it was it was really cool really really cool did you move to LA with the idea of like, bro, I'm going to make it? What was, your, what, was, what was the agenda? Like, what was the- what was I love how aggressive, like, what are you trying to prove? What's wrong with you? What are you doing? Well, no, it's like, dude, you're having, you lived in Nashville and blah, blah, blah. I'm just wondering, like, what was the draw to, to LA? Yeah. And like, what was the, all right, this is the thing I'm going for. Because, you know, when you make a big move like that, there's some sort of oh, yeah. very palpable driving force. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I would have put it in the I'm going to make it way, but essentially, yeah, you're not wrong, but you're not wrong. Like I wanted to play, it was more like every record I grew up listening to, not every, but most were done in LA. And I knew I wasn't going to go on a time machine and live in the eighties or whatever, but I knew that moving forward, there was still a lot happening there that wasn't happening anywhere else. And I just knew I wanted to be a part of whatever the new cycle of pop music was going to be. I just knew that's what I wanted. Like it, for me, it wasn't just, oh, I want to be a session guy. I wanted to play on like important, uh, that sounds douchey. Let's act like I didn't say important, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, some yeah. sort of pivotal <laughs> records that, that have some kind of meaning for people. And, and I wanted it to not be in one genre. I just wanted to be able to 
like play on Latin records and pop records and metal records and folk records, whatever, you know, I just, and I knew that that was the one city that afforded the luxury of a lot of different styles. And so that was really the ultimate goal. I mean, I remember, I feel like I didn't know who you were and then you were everywhere. Dude, but same, same with you for me. Same with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exact same. Well, I, it was like, I think it was John Fields is the first one who was like, dude, you got to get hit to Erlen Sterling. I just did these sessions with him. I did these sessions last year. It's finally just hit me. This cat is insane. And oh, then all of a sudden, nice. boom, you're just everywhere. <laughs> that's so funny, man. That's, but you know, the first time I met you was uh, 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 the Leno show. Was Jay Leno still a thing? Conan. Or, Conan. Conan. Okay. Well, cool that I didn't even know that. But whatever. Yeah, Conan. <laughs> and, uh, and you were playing with Ben Rector. And, and I was I, playing mandolin. This is the this is the best part though. This is the best part. I show up and I didn't know who you were, and and, and I I left going cool mandolin guy. I like that mandolin guy. <laughs> I assumed all you did was play the mandolin. The next time I see you, it was like Corey Wong, the biggest de- deal in the world, guitar guy. I'm like, man, for a mandolin player, this guy can play electric guitar pretty well. This is you know, I just was like, what is happening? It's so funny, man. That is hilarious. I forgot that's the first place we met. And actually, I got to say, there's there's two things that stuck out from that experience with you that I have respected and have stayed with me for a long time. Oh, wow. Number one, after soundcheck, before the show taping, we went to catering. We went through the line. I was right behind you in line. And you looked at the mixed vegetables. <laughs> and you went through and you like grabbed the, you grabbed the mixed vegetables and you get it on your plate. I don't remember what it was. There was something in the sauteed vegetables. You're like, man, I hate cucumbers or something like that. I was like, dude, then why'd you get cucumbers? Like, why didn't you just stick to the carrots and peppers? You're like, I got to respect the ratios. I got to respect <laughs> the ratios. You got to keep the ratios intact here. I was like, all right, dude, I like that. Wow. He sacrificed some, his own preferences. Somebody had put thought and effort into what goes where and how much. Yeah, you want to respect the, the cook, I suppose. Yeah. I liked that a lot. That, that one stuck with me. And the other one, this is one that's much more serious and one that I still try to remind myself sometimes. When we were doing sound check, I had been used to, like, we had, you know, and you know Ben. Ben is quite particular. So he wants things sure. right. And especially in his ears and when he's singing and, and when he's got his thing, it's his big TV performance. They, and we were so used to spending so much time and everybody getting a lot of time and attention to get their ears exactly right. Yeah. I remember you were just kind of like, yeah, just uh, take some of this, some of this. I got, I got what I need. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was like very minimal. You, you had this idea of, or you had the, it, it seemed like your, your process was, I'll just take what I need to get the job done because I'm confident enough in what I'm doing and confident in, enough in what everybody else is doing that I don't need it to be perfect. I just need it to be yeah. adequate to get my job done. Yeah. Yeah. I love limitations though. I like limitations are so exciting and, and technical issues are exciting and like anything that would cause a problem, you know, can be fun because yeah, if, if you're a good enough musician, all that means is like, why we have to improv something then there's going to be some element of having to a compensate for whatever this issue may be. And usually something good comes out of it. Uh, so I love that. I think that's fun. That was nice. I try right. to take that to my, my festival throw and go approach. Uh, oh, like, I was going to ask you, how much do you have to, 
to just kind of let go certain shows? I'm sure you have a lot of control, certain shows, other shows, you just probably have to adopt an attitude like that. Yeah, I mean, now the thing is, it used to be, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare sound check. Because with my mm -hmm. band, there's 10 of us on stage. Right. And with the horn section, there's feedback if we're on wedges and this. Now it's, we're on ears. And yeah. I got this Midas X32 rack thing that we just plug in on the stage box. I don't even have a monitor cat. It's my front of house engineer. We plug the thing in. He's got it all set up. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody's got the app on their phone. But pretty much Whoa. once we plug in, the stuff's just kind of there. We have everything saved oh, now. It's amazing. So it's all within 10% of being right. Unless he's like, hey, these are different overheads today. Make sure the gains are good. Yeah, yeah. And we'll just, you know. Whatever. But you're saying everybody has the app. They don't have to ask for anything. They just bing, bong, bing, bong. They do their own thing. Yeah, there's not 10 oh my gosh. highly motivated people yelling at the monitor engineer asking for something. Why don't other people, is this common, what you're describing? I've never heard of this. I think some people, you know you know where I think a lot of cats do this is in like the church world. Okay. I think a lot of the, the church world people do. Oh, like Avion the, boxes and things like that. Well, yeah, that, that was the thing in the early yeah. 2000s. I yeah, think. exactly. And you saw some studios with those. But yeah, dude, I- to me, it's, I mean, I love having a stage tech and we often bring a stage tech, but now it's actually like with 10 people, it's just, it's way easier and more effortless for everybody to just, you're locked into your own mix on your yeah. phone or your iPad. And it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I need a little more of this. Oh, that was not enough. Oh, All these minor tweaks. It's so easy to dial it in. I don't know why other people don't do it. Yeah, because it really kind of ruins the vibe when everybody's trying to talk over everybody and really just trying to make music. You're trying your best to like get into the the feeling of music. If people can quietly do that on their own without you knowing or the next person knowing, what a beautiful thing. That's awesome. All right. There's one one gig of yours that I wish I could have attended that I need to ask about. Dude, okay. Tell me about this time you played with Eddie Van Halen. Uh, <laughs> dude, that was amazing. <laughs> That was amazing. Uh, I was working, I'm still working a lot with, do you know who Patrick Leonard is? Uh, yeah. Yeah, big producer. And I was working a lot with him at that time. We were doing like Natasha Bedingfield and Train and all these different, you know, artists. And and so we were working together a lot. And and at that, I think he called me and I was in somewhere else, not in California. I think I was in, in Nashville, but I might've been in New York. I'm not sure. But, but he called me and he's like, hey, do you want to come down tomorrow night and play with me and Eddie Van Halen? And already I'm like, the answer is yes. You can give me other details if you feel like it, but I'm going to be wherever this place is. Long yeah. story short, Eddie was, had a, a friend who used to be in the porn industry and she had a flower shop on um, San Vicente, I think. And it was probably very high real estate, right? And this was called Floral Couture. So very high-end flowers and it sounds like a great LA business, but I think it wasn't going so well for her and she was probably underwater. And so he thought as a gesture, why don't I just show up in her parking lot and advertise a gig? I'm a famous guy, so people will show up. And I think he was just trying to hook her up and get like exposure and all this stuff for her. And so he had asked Pat, he was like, dude, do you want to just come and play with me? Get me a drummer and we'll just jam for two yeah. hours, complete improv with no... Um, anything. So I, I got on a plane the next day. I, I didn't even tell him I wasn't there. I just bought my own ticket and I did not have a lot of money at that time. 
But I just was like, dude, I will do whatever it takes. So I flew back. I mean, I was living there at the time. So I, mean, I stayed in my own place, but I flew back and I got there and I think maybe I had Cartage bring my drums, but oh, that was it. My I, Cartage guys bring the drums because I'm thinking like, this is so cool. You know, I'm going to play with Eddie. And then he shows up in a, I think it was a Hummer slash, it, it was like a, a a Hummer SUV or some kind of thing. I've never seen it before. It was like a Rolls Royce Hummer. I'm just making this up, but I, I've never seen a, a vehicle like this. I don't even know what it was. And and he had like the 5150 on it and all this stuff, like on the license plate. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And my first meeting with him, he's not wearing a shirt. He has a rope for a belt and he's not wearing shoes. And we are on San Vicente. And he's like, hey, man, can you help me load my stuff in? I'm like, sure, Eddie Van Halen, I can do that for you. Um, and it's all his <laughs> gear with his name on it. It's all his amps and stuff. Like, so yeah. I, I help him load in. And dude, we just jammed for two hours in front of a bunch of celebrities who are all just like, what is happening? Like, what is this? Two hours nonstop, just jamming, like the way you and I would do when we were 14 years old. You know what I'm saying? Dude, I love that. It was incredible. It was really, I mean, it was, there were moments that were like, I don't know if this is necessarily good, but it's incredible. <laughs> I'm sitting behind truly one of my biggest heroes. Like, it was amazing. And at one point, he asked me to do a drum solo in front of everybody. That's not my vibe exactly. So I'm thinking, oh, I'll be musical and like maybe have like have it grow or whatever. And then he looked at me kind of as if to say, all I do is play with my brother and he doesn't play like this. And he starts yelling at me, he goes, more, just get on with it. <laughs> play notes more. And I just, I didn't even know what that meant. And I just started playing a bunch of notes. I didn't know what the hell to do. Dude, it was, it was both a nightmare and a dream at the same time. It's a great memory though. That's so dope. Yeah. Well, Dude, it's at, funny too. <laughs> well, go ahead. At, at, at one point, I literally, I remember playing and we're just like playing sort of this sort of like, um, oh, like, like sort of this Eastern scale kind of like uh, super vibey kind of thing. Like, and I just looked down and that Tracy Morgan is staring right at me and he has this face as if to say, what is happening right now? And he just <laughs> kept staring at me like, what is this? <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't stop locking eyes with Tracy Morgan who wanted to know what am I doing here? What is anybody doing? It was the funniest thing I'd ever done, man. It was amazing. Yeah. Did people buy flowers or what? I, I couldn't tell you. I was a little focused on all that stuff. I, I guess so. so. I think it was yeah. more of those just let's have a party and, and help this chick out. I don't know, man. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't think that store is still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, sitting down and improvise for two hours, a lot of people know you as somebody who plays on pop, singer-songwriter records, all that sort of stuff. But I know that you've got a huge history in being into jazz and fusion, and you know deeply, deeply, you're very intimately deep with the with the jazz and fusion catalog. Oh, yeah. Can you tell me kind of, how did you decide that the avenue that you were going to take was this one rather than being fusion cat? I think honestly, it's just that, so, you know, I, I could easily say I have such a love for that music you're talking about. It's never yeah. stopped. It's not ironic. I recognize the irony of it all. Like if you want to make yeah. fun of it, but it's, it's serious and real for me, but like, yeah, a lot of it is probably like a having kids at a young age and wanting to make a living, you know, and like, and just, and then also I do have a genuine love of pop music, like mm -hmm. just as big, if not bigger. So 
Yeah. For me, playing on pop songs uh, as a guy who comes from that other world, it's not like a downer. It's fun. I love it. Yeah, to this yeah. day, whatever songs I'm going to work on when we're done here, I will love them. I just will. I, just, yeah. I love it. I just, it's so fun. And um, I think for me, I just like being in a studio playing on anything more than a specific genre or, 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 you know what I mean? Like it's really just sure. the process of, of working on recordings. That's what I've always loved. And that takes precedence over any of the actual specific genres. So, yeah, I mean, I think some of it is just like a numbers thing. I, I knew what I was good at in terms of recording and I'll probably do a little bit better if I work myself into the pop world as opposed to only playing on, you know, baked potato style stuff. So you just yeah. kind of got to go where that the money leads you sometimes. But but again, I, I just love it. I totally yeah, love yeah. pop music. But I, at the same time, you know, I don't get asked to do a lot of the fusion stuff and it would be cool to be able to do more of that. Yeah. Do you, I mean, what percentage wise, how much would you prefer to do studio over live? Well, okay. So I, I don't have a lot of live experience like in my life, you know, I've really just toured with one person and, and, and I know, you know, John Mayer, and I know that that's like its own world anyways, and there's not a lot of gigs like that. So it's yeah. hard for me to say, cause I, I feel very spoiled that this one person I play live with a lot is really good and it's so fun. Um, so if I were to just forget about him and act like he doesn't exist for a second, like it would be a whole lot more studio. But because yeah. John is so special to me and the way that those shows go down, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I really love playing with him. But again, like if he didn't exist in the world and I didn't have that relationship or, or whatever, however you want to put it, like, I'm meant to be in the studio. You know what I mean? Like that is just what I'm good at. It's what I enjoy. I usually feel pretty uncomfortable on stage. Um, I got a really? myriad of, oh yeah, dude. I get up, I, I when I watch videos of you, I'm just like, man, if I could be like that, I probably would play live more. <laughs> you look so happy and you look um, comfortable and like this is your place, you know? I don't sure. feel like I belong there. I, I feel mm. very messed up in my head when I get on stage. But I try to work through it and I still try to be the best musician I can be, but I feel so uncomfortable a lot. Interesting. Yeah. The first times you played with it, was that on those, the Paradise Valley and Born and Raised? Yeah. Yeah. We'd made two records together at that point. And so I was much more, my relationship with him was like a recording relationship for, yeah. you know, pretty much three straight years of recording, uh, making those records. So then the idea of like getting on stage was like, oh, shit, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I just, I didn't do it very often, but, but I had this great rapport with him. And I'm like, oh, of course I have to do this. This is amazing. You know? Sure. I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it though. I really am. Well, it's, that's interesting. I mean, it doesn't look like you're uncomfortable on stage. So that's good. That's good. Um, it's good for the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, for a while was, was taking lessons from John Harrington and Steely Dan. Wow. And um, one of the things that I was always really curious about with him, and I'm going to ask you the same, is it's like you take these classic parts or solos, yeah. Yeah. or in your case, you know, a lot of songs that people really know, and and all you know, you get people like Steve Jordan that played on a lot of songs of his. Yeah. Harrington's playing stuff from you know a myriad of people. Right? How do you how do you interpret stuff that people already know and are really comfortable with? both as an audience perspective, like how do you, like if somebody really knows something, 
both the audience and John. How do you approach coming into the gig, playing these songs that so many other people already have a really good idea of how it quote unquote should be? Man, all I care about is if he's happy. I mean, that's it. Because if he's happy, uh, maybe the audience likes it. Maybe they don't. I'm not there for, and this sounds really harsh, but let me, let me, uh, there's a logic to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not there for them. I'm there for him. Now he is there or any artist is there for them. But like, that's kind of, he's like the director of the film. Like, dude, if you like mm -hmm. it, then it's, that's your call. So yeah, if, if I play something different and that makes him happy and that makes him then start playing something different and the whole thing just feels right to him, that's all I care about. And maybe the audience loves it or maybe they feel like, hey, that's weird. I don't remember it being that way. But ultimately, I want, I want him to be happy. Um, yeah. And I think I would treat any gig like that. It's like, dude, sure. you're the one hiring me, so I want you to be happy. And it's up to you to figure out how much you want to cater to an audience. And, and I think he's really good at knowing certain things he does, uh, you know, maybe the record way. Other things, he's completely fine and happy for things to morph into almost a different song. And I'd sure. rather respect his desire to figure out what, what songs are what, you know, and, and I'll just always try to stay inspired and I'm fine with changing stuff up all the time. And then if he says, Hey, maybe this needs to be like the record. Cool. There you go. Done. I'll play like the record, but I, I'd, I'd rather try to stay inspired and, and just keep doing whatever I got to do and let him edit me. But I, yeah. I don't really think about the audience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what they want. Anyways, sure. I don't mean that in a rude way. I just don't even know. I don't go to a lot of shows yeah. myself. I don't even know what I would want if I went to a show. Man, honestly, that's uh, that doesn't sound weird to me at all. Like, yeah. I think if you you trust him enough or the, the artist that you're playing for, you trust yeah. them enough to know, okay, if this person likes this, that means it falls within the vision that they have for their project. And yeah. And he's, so, he's so good at that of always thinking about the totality of his catalog, his career, his audience, all that. Like he's doing such a good job of that. Why would I even attempt to, to do it? It's not my life anyways. You know, it's like, that's his sure. thing to figure out. So as long as he's digging it, man, that's all I care about. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Remote recording. I've had several drummers do remote recording for me. Nobody sends in better, cleaner, better <laughs> sounding tracks than you do. Oh, uh, you're I mean, so kind. Dude, it's insane. I was actually, I was just at John Field's studio yesterday. We were going through some stuff. We were going through some other sessions and I was opening up stuff of mine from my last record that you played on. And I was just asking John, I was like, how did you mix some of this stuff? We were going through a little mix thing. Yeah. We pulled it up. It was like, dude, there's like zero plugins on the drums. Oh, like, man. I think we maybe made a little bit of an EQ on something. Yeah. It was like, oh, preference thing on whatever. Sure. But you sent me the tracks and you sent me a... a a screenshot of your logic on like how you had them pan. Yeah, just in case. How you, you had things you mixed. Yeah. So I boom, 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 put it in. Dude, it just sounds dope. Oh, thank you, man. What are you doing? What are you paying attention to that a lot of other people sending tracks out are not paying attention to? Uh, here, my answer is pretty simple. I think that for years, there's been a, a concept of how to record drums and how a lot of the processing that you do with drums happens later with another person called a mixer, right? Yeah. And, and yes, mixers still to this day do amazing work, right? But 
when guitar players, I always think guitar players, when guitar players started getting more pedals in the, in the old days, all right? And then they started getting a pedal board and then there's the rack. This is this evolution that where you guys started controlling more and more of your sound and it was less mm -hmm. waiting for a mixer to do interesting things later. And you were just like, here's the sound. So you have a, you know, you have your own plugin, you know, you have all this stuff that you're doing to control your sound so that there's less work later. I got inspired by that concept you know, when I started recording, even before I had my own studio to like give a, an engineer the most amount of stuff that's done. And so yeah. that when I started recording myself, my philosophy was always the pedal board philosophy, which is I'll give you the sounds. I'm not just gonna play the drums and then let you do stuff later. That's not what I, I don't want to think of myself as a drummer. I'll think of myself as a, a creator using drums to give you sounds that hopefully are the right thing for the song. I love that. That's the whole philosophy, yeah. Well, and I think part of that also is that you have good taste in those decisions. People are hiring you not just for your drumming, they're they're hiring you for your taste in that stuff. And also, you just have enough reps in that realm where you know what sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done it a lot, thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of songs, but I would still say I'd rather make bold decisions and then have somebody go, cool, I'm never hiring him again. Nice guy, but it's just it's blah, 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 whatever. Maybe they don't like it. I would still rather do that than to play it safe and allow, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to box people into a corner too much, but I also think it's my job to provide like instant inspiration on the drums, not just drumming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I like your track, your tracks you sent me, for example, like they already sound incredible. So why am I going to disrespect you when you've put a lot of work into your track sounding amazing? You didn't just sit there and play the guitar. Like there's a lot going on and the sounds are amazing. I feel like I owe it to you then to give you the same level of like, here we go. Check this out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Um, yeah. And that's how I feel about every song I ever do. It's like, dude, you're going to get like a finished product. Uh, and yeah. it's still going to be malleable and there's still other tracks. And if you don't like this one track with a lot of compression, you can turn it down. It's not like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. you can do things with it, but yeah, I like going for it for sure. It's definitely my thing. One of the, the, there's a session, there's an album actually I'm curious about, because speaking of creative and just inspiring ways of approaching things, the way you played on the Madison Cunningham record, oh, this most recent you. one is so dope and it's so creative and it's not just like, Drummer guy. Yeah, it's, yeah. It is so, it, you don't even, like, it is drums, but I don't think of it as there's a drummer. I, yeah. I think of it, it, it's much more like ensemble feeling. It's almost, I, I don't know. Was that one done remotely or did you guys do that in the studio? What was, no, that actually, we did at Mike Elizondo's studio. Oh, okay. And, yeah. But that's a good example of like the engineer, Justin Francis, he, he's that kind of thinker. Like he doesn't care what is normal. I mean, he just does whatever sounds cool. And so he'll try all sorts of things to inspire some kind of sound that, you know, gets your mind going. Uh, and then you have Madison, who's just on such another level, not just as, as a guitar player writer, but she's a free thinker. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's, I just yeah. think there's, there's artists who are free thinkers and there's artists who are kind of confined a little bit to maybe one way of doing things. She doesn't care how we get to where we need to get, like, whatever, just start painting, you know? Um, yeah. And so when you work with somebody like that, you can try anything and you're not worried because there's nothing considered weird to them. They're just open to whatever. Um, yeah. So I would say if anything I did that seems cool is a product of 
you know, cool people in the room, you know, uh, it's yeah. so much, it's so much easier when you're with open-minded people like that. That's cool. I feel like after the last few years, I myself have been able to recognize you're playing much more on so many albums just cause there's, I have more references now yeah. where I'll listen to stuff. I'm like, that's Aaron. Oh, oh that's, that's cool. Aaron. And, and that one for sure is one of those ones where it's like, oh, okay, yes, this, this sort of thing. And some of this stuff, even after you sent me tracks of yours for my album, it's like, oh, that reminds me of this or that reminds me of this. And now yeah. there's so many other reference points where it's fun. Now I'm able to listen to certain songs. And after the first time through, I'm like, that was Aaron. I'll bet anything on it and I'll look it up. And it yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool, man. You know, it's it makes me think though of you. There's something interesting about your playing in the sense that you have the on one hand, you have this very signature sound, right? It's so instantaneous, like, of course, done. But the other day you put up this video of that solo you did, and I thought, mm. never in a million years would I have said that was you. And that's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool yeah. that you, you, okay, here's my question. We're gonna reversing the podcast. Sure. How much um, other coriness do you have that uh, people aren't necessarily aware of that you haven't let out Maybe intentionally, or maybe I don't know what the reason would be, but I heard that solo and I thought, no, nah, I really truly would not have known that was you. Is there more things going on that you're just not like letting out on a regular basis? Maybe I think there's probably a few that to me, I, I feel like they maybe are out there, but I, but they're as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, nobody knows about the fact that I grew up playing punk rock music. Okay, that would be a great example. Yeah. Nobody knows that I that I spent like two and a half, three years studying Afro-Peruvian music on nylon string guitar. Which probably influenced the way you play electric, I'm sure. It's all yeah. one thing, yeah. Yeah, so wow, to me, it's like, that's crazy. oh yeah, it's in there, but I guess people haven't seen me actually on that instrument. Right, wow. Do you, play, like, that, do you play that sort of thing a lot, just by yourself still, nylon? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I I have a nylon that I play all the time here, but I don't I don't go as much into the classical thing as I did when I was in college and just out of college. But wow, that's so cool! I didn't know that. Yeah, it's fun. Actually, my my guitar mentor is from Peru, and part of my study at college, you had to do basically three years of some sort of nylon string stuff, either classical or Latin American music or whatever. You can do a deep dive on whatever you want, and yeah, because my mentor is from Peru. He's like, dude. Let me teach you about Afro-Peruvian music. Wow. And went deep on it. Dude, that's, yeah, that's cool. amazing. You got to send me some links to some records so I can like know I what I need to listen to. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay, that answers three that. Yeah, three bass and six bass stuff. It's, it's cool. Oh, interesting. All right. You played on albums for a lot of, I mean, you, you play on stuff every day. I know this about you. But sometimes you play on stuff for really big artists. Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, Lana Del Rey, Mayer, Marin Morris, all these, all these things where it's like, you know that people are going to be listening, that people are going to be pushing this in a different way than some other projects. Do you ever feel the pressure of that? And do you ever approach what you're doing differently? Or do you do everything? Is it still all just music and you just do it? I think there's, ultimately it's that, but yeah, there's a little bit of an awareness sometimes with bigger artists. There's maybe a mounting pressure because you, you maybe 
feel a little bit more under the microscope because you know you're dealing with somebody who might be highly discerning or or just somebody who's just on such a high level that you know what what your your first instinct might not be good enough or whatever but ultimately i found that that's not true and that's just stuff that's in my head and and sure. really it, it's no different than any other session it, it and it's kind of like what i was saying about john like as long as they're happy that's really all you can do and all you should do because sure. an artist is supposed to be an artist and they're supposed to put out what they want and so as long as you're trying yeah, and I have to be myself and do my thing, but I'm hoping to just make them happy. And if they're freaking out finally about something on a track, then that's cool. That's all that matters. And I've played on a lot of records too for big artists that no one will ever hear because they loved it, but then the label hated it and then mm. whatever. And there's a lot of those stories too, but I'm still glad that I played it that way. And I don't feel like it's all my fault because, <laughs> you know, it was too artsy <laughs> or whatever. So you can't, yeah, in the same way that I can't blame myself if something doesn't succeed, I also can't give myself too much praise just because yeah. I played on some song and I think what I did was cool. Maybe it still would have been the biggest song in the world if I hadn't played on it. Uh, and I try to remember that. And when you think about it that way, then you just relax and go, oh, I'll just do the best job I can. And the biggest thing for me is I always try to get into the head of the artist because every artist has a different perception of what is cool what is not cool? You know, like everybody has their own universe they're in. And so the the trick is to figure out what is the universe that this person is in? What do they deem cool? What do they mean when they say it's too rock? Like that could mean a million things to a million different people. And so you have to quickly like ascertain, like, what am I dealing with? Like, what is their definition of all these different words? And that's the best way you can get an artist to be happy, I think. Well, you mentioned highly discerning people, which I think there is, you know, some people are paying attention to more than the average person. Some people are more aware than the average person. With a lot of these bigger artists that you've worked with or those that, and not even not even um, traditionally successful. I don't, I don't mean it in that way, but a sure. lot of people that, that are high level artists, and, and that doesn't mean monetary, album sales, blah, 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 any of that. Yeah. High level artists, do you notice that they're paying attention to things that other artists aren't? Absolutely. Yes. And and I think you make a good point. There I don't think there's any through line to um the ones that that are the most successful monetarily and not. There's there's some of the most famous people in the world who are very discerning. And then there's some of the most famous people in the world. I don't think they're hearing anything. <laughs> like it's unbelievable. <laughs> and then you have the people that, you know, are just up and coming and their brains are incredible and what they hear is so deep. And then of course, vice versa. I can't figure out what, what that is, like what the consistent thing is, but, but yeah, there's definitely artists where you just immediately go, Oh wow. Oh shit. You hear everything I'm doing and you are, you, you hear it like you really, and it's affecting you like viscerally and, and other people didn't even realize you were even playing on that last take. Like it's, it's pretty incredible. You know, is there something that you think that you're paying attention to that you notice other drummers not doing? Oh, for sure. The vocal that, I mean, go on. Yeah. Don't <laughs> get into this. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, Here I'm we not go. like, it's not like, um, I'm not shit talking. I just think in yeah, a general, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in a general sense, like, when you play vocal-based music, and I feel like I learned this because I started in jazz, which doesn't have vocals. And so you can get, you just get so in your head about the entire group, right? 
And when you play vocal-based music, that's not the point. It's just not the point. You know, yeah, I know there's there's rhythm sections, there's all these things happening, but at the end of the day, man, people want to hear that vocal and every single thing that happens around that vocal needs to support it in some way, whether it's uh, a counterpart or it's right on it, whatever it is, it just has to help the vocal. And I just think of myself, I try to be a vocal helper using something called the drum set. You know what I mean? But my first job is vocal helper guy. Like that's what I think of my job as. And all I care about is that at the end of the day, I won't play on a song if they don't send me the vocal. That happens sometimes. Oh, yeah. we don't, we don't have the vocal ready. I'm like, cool. Hit me up when it's ready. I cannot play on the song if I don't know what the most important thing is. It's like pointless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just like so stupid. I cannot do it. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of drummers maybe figure out their licks and fills and, and parts that they like, but they might not be basing them off of every single nuanced moment of the vocal in that song. And I try to just only listen to that. I'm not literally doing that, but I, in a way I'm just, I just, you know what I'll do a lot is when I play, when I work on a song here and I kind of have it going to the point where I think maybe it's in a good spot, I solo my drums and, or whatever I've done, whether it's drums, keys, or percussion or something, and just the vocal. And I only listen to my contribution and the vocal and I listen the whole way through. And if it sounds like it's still kind of a song, then I know I'm doing something right. And if it doesn't feel good, I know that, that I've done something wrong. That's cool. Yeah, I do that all the time. Like just, it's like, does it sound like a song even though it's really just drums and vocals and there's no harmony at all? Um, then I feel like that's that's a trick I do all the time. I love that. Yeah. About an hour ago, just before this this <laughs> podcast started, I, I gave you I gave you one little little homework assignment. <sighs> Dude, I thought you were joking. I didn't realize that's like the biggest news story of today. Apparently, I had no idea. <laughs> I thought you were totally joking with me. <laughs> For those that, well, we're recording this early November, so this is going to come out in a month or so. Okay. So I guess. By the time this comes out, people will have had their say and the YouTubers oh, will oh. have already responded. But we'll this is already us be in real done time. with the topic. Yes, yes. Yes. The thing I texted Aaron was, hey, dude, just, <laughs> just give a quick skim of the new Beatles song before we start. I mean, honestly, that sounds like the funniest joke. Hey, bro, I love talking about music. Maybe check out the new Beatles song. I was like, that's a really funny joke. And then I realized, oh my God, you're serious. This is real. This is happening. Good Lord. <laughs> now I've 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 just read the headlines and just the the the, the TLDRs about yeah. it, but okay, it's this new tune. We got some stuff from Lennon decades ago that yeah. the AI updated. We got current McCartney and Ringo, and there's something with George, maybe from the 80s or something. I I'll, think uh, yeah, I want to say that is that solo at the end. That's George, maybe 30 years ago or no. No, it's not. Jason's shaking his head. Where is it, Jason? They, they they had too much of the piano bleed, and they were like, screw it. Let's just forget it. Okay. So McCartney is the solo trying to sound like George. The George contribution is from the anthology stuff in the 90s. And the the thing, I, I, I listen to it. <laughs> I'm not a hater, okay? I, I don't I'm, think you are. I don't look, think you are. I'm, yeah. I want, I want to love it. I just, I, I might love it tomorrow, but when I first turned it on, Something didn't smell right. <laughs> it just didn't pass the smell test. I hear you. I hear at, you. At the first two listens, it's like, 
okay, if I'm making these decisions, if I'm putting this out, we're already a little bit controversial because we're using AI. Okay, and we got sure. All this, you know, yeah. stuff from different decades. How am I going to approach this? Am I going to try to approach this as releasing something that sounds like today, or am I releasing this as something that sounds like George Martin produced right, and released, right. maybe maybe like Revolver era or something? I I don't know. I would have. My gut would have been like, hey, we're using all this modern tech. Let's just, let's throw it through the tape machines. Let's go back to Abbey Road. Let's let's sure. do it like we would have back in the day. Let's let the only thing that touches the computer be the be the AI thing. And then everybody, everything else is on the tape. Whatever. Okay. I maybe would have taken that approach because then people would have been like, yeah, but it sounds dope. It sounds like classic Beatles. Right. As soon as I heard that cross stick hit. <laughs> That that was what did it for me. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. It's a little. I'm in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You get to the restaurant and they see you at the table that's next to the kitchen, and it's everything's good. But as soon as they hit that oh cross stick, God. I peeked my head in the kitchen like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Something doesn't smell right here. Right, right. Oh, I don't I, know I, what okay. it was. I don't know why the cross stick hit me, and I was like, I can't do it. I wouldn't. Okay, I know what you mean. And I hear the sound you're talking about. It doesn't bother me that much, but I do hear it. I, 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 not like I'm sitting here going, I sure. don't know what you yeah, mean. Yeah. I will say this. Spike Stint mixed it. I looked this up. Now, Spike is one of my favorite mixers of all time. He is yeah. incredible. He is so musical. My gut says he nailed it with the source material given to him. And, you know, maybe source material is just a little extra cross sticky. I don't know. I do think like, it's a pretty good balance, though, of like modern and old. And maybe your point yeah. is, I don't want a balance. I want you to go all the way left or all the way right. And maybe you're right. I don't know. But it's, I'll say in a general sense, I, I kind of liked it. I, I, I listened the whole way through. I didn't get bored. I mean, that sounds yeah. sacrilegious to say, oh, you didn't get bored on a Beatles song? Good for you. Like, of course you shouldn't. <laughs> be, but it is a little odd to be like, it's the most famous band ever. I know every single song. Like, so it's weird to think of like hearing another one of their songs. Um, but I don't know. I, th I thought it was kind of engaging, but I know what yeah. you mean. I think the biggest, here's, here's why I think you might be right. The vocal is still old sounding in a great way. There is, yeah. they didn't figure out a way to make it sound brand new. So it's like, I think it's that juxtaposition of some of these more sh sheeny, modern-y instruments with that vocal, which obviously has like a lot of highs rolled off of it and it just is what yeah. it is. I think it was a cassette recorder I read the the, mm. the John Lennon vocalist. Um so yeah, it's a little bit of everything. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, see I would have put everything through a cassette then. And just do it. Yeah, it just commit. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm stoked that the Beatles are coming back into the zeitgeist yeah. again in 2023. I love it's my favorite band Beatles and Steely Dan. All day. Yeah. Okay, but it's just, I, I do have high expectations. I like a lot of the new, I like most of the new McCartney stuff. Some people aren't down, but this, I just wanted, you know, it's like, you know, you want, you want your favorite bands to put out something perfect every time. And it will probably grow on me. It, it probably will. And man, you make a good point too. I am such a lover of current McCartney records. And I don't know why people aren't giving them enough credit. Dude, his his like last couple records are so good. They're so interesting. I'm like, dude, this guy, how is he still doing this? They're badass, man. Uh, I will say I was really scared when you texted me because you said AI John Lennon. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. I thought it was literally oh, yeah. oh, fake yeah, yeah, John yeah. Lennon. <laughs> that scared the crap. I was already like ready to hate it. And I listened. 
the first half of the song, I thought that's what I was hearing. And then I started Googling as I was listening and realized, okay, yeah. okay it's not that. It's actually his yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. Then I was like, okay, these are horrible people. I cannot believe they did this. But uh, <laughs> but it, it, we're all good, yeah. <laughs> but I know you're a big fan of using uh, AI voices. Well, I was just, uh, I was on one for about a week and a half. I loved the bit. It was a good comedic bit. It was great. People did not know that I was having fun. People thought I was like serious. I'm like using AI yeah. Ariana Grande to re-release my music. It's and it's, I, yeah. I had to bail. I think people didn't people didn't get it. We're too Isn't early. Isn't that so funny when yeah when you go deep in on a joke and your assumption is that maybe ninety percent of people will will die laughing and then you realize it's the inverse. It's like ten percent get it and ninety don't get it. That's a tough. That's a tough one. I hate when that happens. Yeah. It happens to me every single day of my life. It's extra special for that ten percent though. <laughs> it's true. The ten percent feel like they're in a really cool club and they are for sure. Yeah. Uh, just on the record, because I've never said it, my favorite post-millennium McCartney is Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. Oh, it's so good. Forget about it. Oh, yes. Forget about it. It's ridiculously good. That's my favorite one. What is it? Jenny Wren? Jenny Wren, dude. Come on. It, you cannot sit here and listen to those chord changes and tell me that shit is not ridiculous. It's insane, it's, dude. It's so good. I, I don't know why people don't talk about, well, I could go even full sacrilegious and say that's like, better than a certain amount of Beatles songs. I mean, truly, like, it's ridiculous. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that one. Okay, thank I'll you. I'll climb that hill with you. Yeah, I'll yeah. climb that hill. I don't know how Absolutely. many Beatles songs I'm choosing that it's better, but it's better than a lot. It's so good. Yes, 100%. Wow. All right, I want to I wanna ask a question that's going to set some T-ball up for you to move some units. <laughs> uh, so keep that in mind here as, I, as, I, yeah. as, we, as we go down this, this next path here, as we, as we kind of get, get closer to the end here. Yeah. In the drumming world, in what you just consider yourself, I mean, I know you're more than just drummer. You got the whole percussion thing, which is dope. But as far as drum set players, as far as tones go, what are the most important tones to get right in a drum kit? Which which pieces? Oh, 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 what pieces of the drum set? Meaning kick, snare, yes. toms, cymbals, these is that what you mean? Kick, snare, hat, toms, ride cymbal. <laughs> Maybe maybe a particular ride symbol that needs to get right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, hey, listen, if you're talking about my signature ride symbol, uh, no, um, man, I am. Let's get there. We'll we'll get no, there. No, in no, a no. I love I love that question. I, w I would say it ultimately is probably just song dependent. But at the end of the day, man, kick and snare is everything. It's everything. Almost. I mean, you know, with the exception of like obviously straight ahead jazz, that would it's the ride symbol. Uh, but yeah, most of what I do, if the kick and snare aren't right, who cares if everything else is cool? It makes almost no difference because you're just so far from your goal yeah. at that point. And um, yeah, for sure. God, I don't know. Tell I mean, me about this ride symbol though. Oh, uh, well, I have, okay, I got a signature 20 and 22, 20 and 22 with Istanbul Agop, but they're honestly designed to be both. They're both rides and crashes. I use them for oh, nice. both. Yeah, like I use them as crashes all the time and rides, but they're just, they're kind of like, they're super versatile. I love the way they sound. I use them every single day, but whatever. If you hate them, don't worry about it. You don't, nobody needs to buy them if they don't want them, but I love them. So if you had a, to, if you could only choose one kick, one snare, okay, one pair of hats, one ride crash, what are you choosing? You, you this, this is like, you're still trying to be Aaron Sterling. Oh, got it. But and this you, is like, easy. You got into some trouble. Like, dude, no, no. I can only, I, one kit. 
I, I got a lot of trouble, a lot of financial trouble. Uh, my family yeah. left me. All I have are these four, four elements. Easy. Uh, <laughs> 60s Lud... No, 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 no. Sorry. No, no. Se- se- I'm literally looking at it right now. 70s Ludwig, 22-inch kick drum. I, I Listen, I'm not happy about this, by the way. I want more kick drums. But if I'm really answering your question, okay. 70s Ludwig, 22-inch kick drum, uh, six, uh, uh, 70s Acrylite, Ludwig Acrylite, very cheap snare, by the way, aluminum. It's a 5 by 14 All drummers know this drum. Um, that's the snare. The hi-hats would be 16-inch Istanbul Agop. I think they're called traditionals. It's not my signature. See, I'm not, I'm not that gross. Uh, but then it absolutely would be my 20-inch signature symbol. I'm going to be that guy right now, and I'm going with that one. You absolutely should be. I should be. That's the whole point of it, yeah. Yeah. 16-inch hats, though. See, I, I know- th- Big They're very versatile. Cool. It's it's it, it, it. They don't sound like big hats. I, I I use these so much. It's ridiculous. They don't sound like the big big hats that you you think they do. I don't know why this particular set comes across that way. Do do you not like big hats? I do like it when they're done right. I mean, yeah. you've probably played big hats on some of my records that I don't know that you played big hats on. Sure. But sometimes it's like, oh, big hats guy coming <laughs> in on the gig. You know, like you go, you go. You go to the hey everybody, it's Big Hats guy. Check me yeah, out. You go to the gig and it's like, jeez. I know. You I can't. Know. It's like some some people that play on Big Hats, you don't get the. It's like hard to get the precision or something. But I mean, obviously that's the player. How hard are they holding it down? Where are they hitting it on there? Exactly. Exactly. But there's a time and a place, man. There are times where I need those hats to be tiny and ticky and just like super pointy. It just depends on the song. But you can get that out of those hats. I, for some reason, these hats I can. Yes, for sure. Okay. Yeah. See, it's, it, to me, it's like you show up at the, you, you show up, let's say you're just, you get hired to do a Vegas gig and uh, you some of your buddies are there and you're just going out on the town. You happen to walk through the casino and you see a live band and they're playing hard, they're like playing rock tunes. Yeah. And it's like, Really, arch top guys up there? Arch top guitar guy? <laughs> what? You know, sometimes that's what I. Sometimes I see big hats yep. guy, and I'm like, Yep, yep. It's, I it's, don't it's, know, man. You're you, you're afraid that what they're doing, they're posturing. They're they're trying to like be interesting and unique on the gig, and what they're really being is just inappropriate at times. Yeah, I hear you. There's not. You're absolutely right. There's a difference. There's sometimes people make interesting bold choices, and it ends up being cool. Other times they're just being contrarians and they're just trying to be interesting. And there's a danger in that for sure. I love the idea of arch top guy at, at a Vegas casino and they're just playing like bad company. And you're like, dude, just get a Les Paul and call it a day. What's the problem? Why do you have to be this guy? <laughs> well, I'm glad so to know. I'm, I'm glad to see that you're like, this isn't just a fad thing. This is like, this is legit. I would... Oh, absolutely. Like yeah, yeah. I can't, but I've always connected with big symbols. I never have small okay. symbols. I've never had small symbols. I own a ton and I use them for certain songs, but I just gravitate towards bigger symbols for some, some reason. I don't know why. What do we think about symbols with holes in them? Love it. Love it. At times. Are you a little tired of it? The trashy sound? I don't know, man. Looking like cheddar cheese up there. <laughs> It's too much for you, huh? Yeah. Sometimes I look at him just like, what are we doing? What? <laughs> what? Why you got to put holes in your symbols, bro? Are they that heavy when you're carrying them around? What's the? <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about that. 
you're shaving pounds off for a whole symbol bag with a symbols with holes in it. Man, that's easily seven pounds that you've lost. This is really good. I didn't it's like the chambered that body Les Paul. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Here's a question. Uh, you can't play your signature guitar. You can't play any kind of strat whatsoever for the next year. What are you playing? That's a great question. I'm trying to figure out what my number two is right now. You can see, I mean, you see I'm in my new office here, but I got a bunch of guitars. I have way too many electric guitars. I yeah. think because I'm just trying to find my number two. But oh, so if, this if is, this pick, is like, the big question for you. What is the number yeah. two? Yeah, you don't even know. Because I want, I want another tone. Yeah. That's like a thing. You know, I'm continuing to develop my voice, but if I had to pick today, if it was like, yo, right. everything's, every strat in the world just got raptured. Yep. You got to go to the gig tomorrow. I'm probably, I guess I'm picking a telly. Yeah. Okay. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. For what I do, a telly, it'll be, it'd be easy enough. I could do some EQ stuff. I could have Seymour Duncan get me a pickup. It's like, yo, make it a little more bubbly, like the strat. Sure. Sure. Let's, let's, what is yeah. the guitar? What's the one guitar that feels the weirdest for you to play? That if or it feels the most foreign that you just go, I don't get this. I I don't like playing these. Anything with like a full on baseball neck, uh, like big, yeah. wide, fat yeah. neck. It's weird. I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> just they're, they're yeah. so round and big, and when they're huge around the back of the neck, it, eh, I don't like it. I like it I like sense. a flatter neck so it's almost more about the way it feels as opposed to the tone if it feels weird physically you're out yeah gotcha all right i have one last question for you this sure. one's entirely selfish great i'm trying to i'm trying to get the the kit here but i know people are going to want to know the drum tone on george benson breezing Ooh. okay if we need a second to just pull it up and listen that's fine oh i don't need a second i got it i, I know ingrained okay, in I me it. So that hi-hat sound, it's a thing. Like there's a lot of these vintage records where I'm like, I want that hi-hat sound. I want that kick. I want, I just want the Benson Breezen drum kit and sound in my room right here. What do I got? What, what's the gear I need? What do I need to do? How do I get that sound? Well, uh, I'm, first of all, I'd like to say I'm fully willing to be wrong. And if, and if the trolls want to come out and correct me, I, I will not even call them trolls. I'll say good for you for correcting me. I don't need to be right here, but yeah, I'll try my yeah. very best to answer the question. I think, yeah, you definitely need like, obviously you need tons of pillows in that kick drum, no tone whatsoever. Uh, okay. You need, you know, you need the classic, like probably an acrylite or a superphonic snare, both cheap, extremely easy to find. And you're gonna have to just tape that, tape that shit up. There's gonna be towels. There's gonna be all sorts of things. Again, no yep. tone. I don't know the specific hats, but my guess is what they sound like and, the, and what was so in fashion at, at the time were like, Oh, I, I guess they would be called quick beats. They, then they were eventually called new beats, but quick beats, Zildjian quick beats were like the thing for that. Wow. And they were heavy, heavy, heavy. And so all they were, were tick, 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 tick. Um, and you know, you play it with the tip of the stick, you barely play it. Yeah. And so those are like, they're like these chunks of metal. You know what I mean? They're not like washy. Really? I would have guessed they were light symbols. Uh, okay. Weight wise. This is the thing that freaks me out too. It's not like that. And when I put up those hats, because I have a lot of those old ones, they're so heavy. And yet when you start playing them, it's like there's not a lot of frequencies other than high end <laughs> is the best sure. way to extend. They're like scooped already. They're, they're EQ'd. Um, okay. And I think that's why it's so high endy. But then you got to like start factoring in tape and, you know, and, and the rolling off and all that that yeah. happens there. So start probably getting into some plugins there. But so much of it is the touch, you know. 
dudes at that time were playing so quietly. Like, um, really? so a lot of it is just playing really, really quietly. You know who my next door neighbor was in LA for years was Phil Upchurch. What? Yeah. I mean, like he was he, in Minneapolis for a while. Really? I thought, I swear. I thought Phil Upchurch was in Minneapolis. He was doing a bunch of stuff at Paisley park. When? 80s, 90s? Okay. Oh, yeah, probably so. Yeah, he was he was my next door neighbor for like 15 years before I, I left. But but man, he's like he, he he used to just show up early mornings. I would wake up, get my coffee, and I hear the sound of a guitar. And I look on my front porch and he is just helping himself to my front porch and he's just playing <laughs> guitar. He would he would watch my kids. He would hold, you know, when they were babies and stuff. Like my kids grew up with 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 him around. Um, wow. And you know, that's him playing bass on Breezen. Yes. And I think, I f- remember, I think it's like somebody had played before and then I don't think George liked it. And he was like, Phil, just you do something. And I think that bass line is like him just trying to do something interesting that wasn't done before. I think that's how he explained it to me. Like that wasn't, I don't think the song was written around that bass line. It was more like, I don't like what's going on. You do something. Uh, you could fact check me on that. But I think that's what he told me when I asked him. You're never going to believe this. You got to hear this. Because I could see I could see his office uh, from my driveway. I remember one day and I'm in my driveway and I'm staring through this window and I'm like freaking out because I'm looking at something. I'm like, there's no way that's what I think that is. And I go up to his front door. I said, Phil, do not tell me that that is Donny Hathaway's hat from the cover of the live record. He goes, oh yeah, that is the hat. He has what? that. He has that freaking Donny Hathaway hat just sitting in his room. You know you what just, hat I'm talking about, You're brushing your right? teeth, just peeping Tom <laughs> and straight into his office. Dude, it was amazing. You know what I'm talking about. You know that hat, right? Yes, like from yes, the live, I do. Dude, from the live he, record. He has that hat. Yeah, it's nuts. Jealous guy and that, I mean, that's classic record, dude. It really, really is. Yeah, yeah, man. That's so funny that you noticed that hat and- <laughs> Oh, I immediately was like, dude, I know you were there. I know you played on that stuff. Like, So yeah, it's pretty cool. Amazing. Well, dude, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to see you. Great to finally amazing. have you on this podcast. Thank I'm you. I'm going to personally me. put in a vote. I'm going to put in a vote for you to spark back up your podcast, man. Uh, man, I devoured I, I, I that. Should, <laughs> I appreciate that. I got. I got to find time. I'm so yeah. like. I got to like. Yeah, I don't know. I, I want to. I just. I know that if I do it the way you know how this goes, like you have to commit and just go yeah. for it and make the time. And so I got to make sure I, I have the time and I actually can commit and don't bail on it like I did on the last one. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, just com- like, you know, a season of eight episodes or something. Fair enough. All right, you're probably right. You're, f- you're probably right. <laughs> Once a year, you do it. You One season a year, yeah. six, eight episodes. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, all right, fair enough. I'm gonna take that into consideration. I appreciate that. All right. Well, man, thanks so much for joining. I hope to see you sometime in person. Oh, man, soon. me too. I absolutely hope it, for sure. All right, thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate it, man. I'll see you around. Yeah, you too. Peace. There you have it, Aaron Sterling. What a great dude. I'm just, just a funny cat, incredible musician, guy that just gets it smart, reads a lot of books. You know, one of those guys. He's great. He's great. If you're not familiar with his stuff, go check it out. He's got a great Instagram. Sick clips. I love this pedal board approach to drumming and sending in tracks. But hey, those of you drummers, don't think you can just start doing that now out of nowhere. You got to get some reps in. You got to build the cl- you got to build the trust. You got to actually know what you're doing before you do that sort of stuff. 
Just like guitar players, you gotta know, you have to have good tones. Sometimes people are like, yeah, send me the dry tones too. That means I don't quite trust your taste that much yet. Anyway, thanks for hanging with us. We'll see you next time. Peace.